Welcome, welcome everyone to the Universal Love Movement. Uh, this is your host, Dr. Carlos Moore, and I'm really excited. Today, I have Hillary Blecker um, with me, and she is a consultant, leadership coach, and just all around amazing human being. And um, I'm really excited. You know, here at the Universal Love Movement, we are promoting that you, the YOU, um, can understand yourself uh, and love yourself enough to love all those around you, with the love being like on our path towards being loving universal vibrations and hillary for me um in the work that she's does for a living and her profession that she doesn't have to do which you'll know why in a moment <laughs> because of her wealthiness <laughs> she's so wealthy she doesn't have to do this work but she does it which i mean although I, i'm kidding her razzing her a little bit because we're, we're friends and colleagues i really do appreciate um having someone who is doing social justice work who i've done social justice work with um from a place of of love, wanting to improve the human condition. So thank you, Hillary, for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. So Hillary, tell us a little bit about yourself, like just who you are and what you do. You can, I mean, this is good. We're going to really get deep into some of like your thinking and your approach. And you have really a lot of awesome perspective as it relates to just love and love for doing this work, but just a little bit of a, a snapshot of what we would find on your or your LinkedIn profile or something like that. Hmm. Okay, so again, my name's Hillary. Um, let's see some things about me. I grew up in like that kind of thing. Do you want to hear? Yeah, you can give a little you, how you came to be where you are and then what you're doing. Just the, uh, the briefest sure. version you can. Sure. Um, yeah, so I worked in the kind of world of occupational health and safety, workplace health and safety for a bunch of years. My background academically is in public health. And I did, I've done for the past 20 years, community-based health trainings. And I realized at some point I had done um, trainings starting in college around identity work, like social identity work, like race, class, gender, all of that stuff. And at a certain point, I realized that the work that I was doing in meatpacking plants and poultry plants and residential construction workers um, about you know making sure workplaces were safe and building strategies to to move the boss um, without actually talking about the unspoken and the differing identities that people brought we couldn't build trust and so i really shifted into the work of um, talking about who we are and also about equity and what feels unjust and you know um keeps us from building trust and authentic relationships so that's kind of how i got here in some way <laughs> that's that that's really awesome and some of that i've I learned before but i didn't remember the it's really good as a reminder and then you say that's how you got here so the here what how would you describe the here the current place you're in um yeah. as, as the work that you do so now i work as a consultant with organizations, um, groups, teams, dealing with conflict that exists, usually dealing on some level with communication differences. And a lot of those differences are about differences in gender and class and race and ability. Um, and kind of having that actual conflict, dealing with what that looks like. And I'm also a leadership coach, so I work with leaders uh, lately, primarily white leaders who are leading multiracial teams or are doing uh, 
uh, racial equity work to build trust in themselves to do this work. Hmm. Oh, great. And, and so, and what, what, with your approach to doing this work, one of the reasons, you know, we've talked about love and the role love plays. I wanted to bring you um, on just so that whoever listens and as uh, the podcast becomes a, this like worldwide thing, you know, people will come back to this episode, um, even though those who listen now or later, to really be able to get um, under the hood and into some of your thinking around like the role that love plays in this work, you know, how you've seen it, how has it, have you, have you not? And then just kind of like your thoughts on that. Um, and maybe better put is the, the society, you know, we're currently, uh, there's a pandemic right now, right? And then we're dealing with the um, worldwide, uh, I would call it awakening as around, you know, um, you know, uh, injustice all over the place, but specifically a catalyst being um, black folks, you know, are systematically oppressed. So just kind of like your work and a role for love in, in, in this right now in this space that we're in. I know you have lots to share and say about that, but you know, start for wherever you'd like. Thanks. That really hit me actually just now. Tell me why it hit you. We spend a lot of time I think in our culture and in our society, when we're talking about doing anti, anti-racism work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, let me talk about it. I'll, I'll specifically talk about what I know from kind of a white perspective, mm-hmm. which is that I think there's a lot of white people who, who are feeling kind of awakened to this moment to do anti-racism work that maybe haven't previously. And I know a lot of people from across, like across racial um, identities, right? Black, white, Latinx, right? Asian who have been doing anti-racism work for a long time. And I think there's a particular kind of strand in uh, progressive, so-called progressive spaces um, of the importance of accountability. And specifically um, in, in predominantly white progressive spaces of doing, of, of holding, white people holding other white people accountable. <laughs> where it's really this kind of call out, not not wanting to see our own racism and calling other white people out okay. Okay. for um, doing racist stuff or telling other white people, you got to do this. White people telling other white people, this is what you got to do. This is how you got to be anti-racist. This is how you got to show up. This is it. And it's coming from a place of like, part of my work as a white anti-racist is to hold other white people accountable. And that's, yeah. and that, and that the accountability is important, but what's missing is the love. Hmm. Hmm. And it hit me. I mean, it always hits me because this is this is actually right now where I feel most energized around doing this work. But the the needing to love white people to to do anti-racist work in order for us to actually do anti-racist work we have to do it while loving ourselves. Wow. We wow. can't be in the fight for racial justice 
we can't be, whether you call yourself an ally, an accomplice, or I'd go even farther to say in it fully, right? Mm -hmm. Without also figuring out how to love our, our white selves and our, our racist selves, our whole selves to be in the full fight for racial justice and racial equity. And so it, it hit me um, because I think it's the critical piece of doing this. It's not, we gotta hold each other accountable to doing this work as white people, but we also gotta love ourselves and we gotta love each other. And we gotta figure out how to do that because it's not, we are going to show up as only a part of ourselves. Wow. And wow. I, I wanna actually bring in here, Lama Rod Owens has this great quote. I'm not gonna get it exactly, but he says something to the effect of, um, if, if white people don't fully love themselves in this work, um, that we will have to, and he is a black gay, uh, uh, like Dharma teacher, that we will have to love the parts of them that they have discarded. Huh. Wow. And, right? Wow. So we put then our, that ugly, dark, dirty, racist shit that we hold, that is part of us, if we can't love it, then what we do is we actually make Black people love that part of us. We right. throw that on them without additional, even realizing. It becomes an additional burden to the oppressed. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. You know, what I love about what you're saying um, is that some people may think when we talk about a person loving their whole self, that it's by some, by some means excusing that. But it doesn't, I mean, and I know that's, it, it doesn't mean that. It means recognizing it and valuing it. That's like me as a male, right? I have misogynist, you know, I've been socialized and I have some just natural nature part that just leads me to think in certain ways but I love the full part of me. Do I let the full part of me manifest, you know, in ways that are detrimental to other people? No, maybe in some ways, yeah, I'm working on it, right? But it's the, how do you, like the, how do you value? Um, and uh, I think what you're saying is beautiful because guilt and um, is the glue that holds oppression in place. And we both know low self-esteem, right? Um, is something that will make you even more, you can probably perform well, but it makes you even more likely to, you know, um, not value others and oppress. So it's an interesting thing. Yeah. So, so you have this white people that you, that you work with all people I know, all, but I think your message that you have, you have a message for white people um, in your work, but then also Implicit in what you're saying right now is this message of like loving all that, right? You're saying that you, you want white folks to love all that. And I think everybody can learn from this, but particularly for that group, white folks that are like the newly awakened <laughs> the, or the, war, the folks who are holding people accountable, what, what, what would you suggest for this group um, for them to be able to love themselves more? Like, if we're, because, and this is interesting, because some people say, oh, no, we're talking about loving white people now as if it's like something's wrong with that, right? <laughs> we're just talking about just hating white people and holding them accountable, but not. So I love that we're, so what would you say is something in that, you know, our fellow human folks, part of our human family, are some things that you would encourage for steps towards that? Because some people are like, hey, I don't know where to start. I've always viewed myself as the oppressor, as a racist, even people who've been doing this for years, people like, you know, doing the work, and they're like, 
we're pretty terrible. <laughs> like being able to understand the history, but then under, you know, how, what kind of advice do you have? Well, first I want to say that I'm learning along with everybody else. Yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. Because I'm hating myself and trying to love myself mm-hmm. and doing it all imperfectly, which is part of the name of the game. Indeed. Um, so, I mean, the, the biggest, the biggest thing is knowing that those things are going to run, they're going to be together, oh, right? right? That, that right. I am a beneficiary of white supremacy, that I have things because um, of a ra- our racist society, right? That my life looks the way it does because of all of those things. I am the oppressor, right? And I do have hatred towards myself because of that. And also, how do I acknowledge? How do I talk about it? How do I feel that? But how do I do that in in places with other white people, right? So, you know, I'm not sitting here saying, feel sorry for me, Carl. You know, feel sorry for me for doing that. But but spending time, you know, just like, like everything that we're talking about in terms of when we talk about dismantling the system, Part of that starts with dismantling ourselves. Start of, part of that starts with understanding what we actually are hating within, right? Like what, all, what is scary to us about ourselves um, as white people in this oppressor role? Um, what do we notice? Uh, what can we really pay attention to of how that plays out? And how can we, instead of shying away from it, name it? Name. How can we begin to name it? How can we begin to see it and know that it will continue, right? I just by doing this, that doesn't mean that then, you know, that's it. I never will do a racist thing again. It just means noticing, being more aware when it happens, right? Um, and noticing the times that it does and how it does. And then it's, it's just about continually committing to the work. Mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. of noticing, of paying attention, and then also loving, right? Like, right, not deciding to abandon that part. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest thing is that we don't, I don't then say, you know, I can give an example, like the other night I was out on the street and it was dark and I was just, you know, paying attention to my phone or something. And, you know, I, I did notice that it was dark and a black man was walking down the street and I had the whole, like, of course, that happens to a lot of white people, right? It's like, okay, I don't want him. I, I'm so in my mind that I can't even figure out, right? Like, in some ways, it's like, am, am I supposed to be afraid of him? Should I show him that I'm not afraid of him? How do I, right? And it becomes this whole discombobulated mess. Okay. And some days I can figure that out right some days it's just like "Uh (laughs) uh-huh and some days i can't and just to like breathe into it if there there's nothing better to say than like yeah this is part of what happens Hmm. this Hmm. is part of what being raised in a racist society means this is part of the messaging i was gotten given and as a 40 year old white person it's not just going to end. It's not just going to yeah, stop. Yeah, just a tap of the fingers, right, right. But can I notice what's 
fear, what's question, what's anxiety, what's my own, you know, like, I guess Howard Stevenson talked about racial literacy, like what's my racial literacy and how do I do what I need to like lower down my nervous system so that I can have the racial encounter. Oh, I love the that. The racial encounter doesn't just make me, you know, end, right? So, so it's, it's, and how do I do that? And then how do I breathe into it? And how do I, you know, just continue to be in the world, right? Like having these moments. I'll, I'll, everything you said, I just think is really, really, it's a really sober and, um, not as overwhelming kind of <laughs> sometimes people are white people specifically just people in all in all cases are think as if they have to kind of like overnight like become somebody amazing and then a lot of problems develop right we have the surface level like you know i'm not racist but you if i'm hearing you correctly you're saying that it's a process you started off with saying you love you're you love yourself but you also hate parts of yourself but you're growing to love all of it and becoming aware of it and to yeah. when you, into what you just ended. And I would think that that's like, a, you know, we have the stage models and all these cycles in which you're, you're working with it, but you're aware. But this, what you just mentioned about noticing, I just think is um, very um, insightful in that you're, what you're asking people to do is not to be a perfect human being, right? Because there's no such thing, but to notice more, right? And then from the noticing that they'll grow. And um, it reminds me of, um, Something I always say, and I haven't, that work that you just mentioned with the person that said your nervous system, I'm glad you mentioned that because I haven't heard of, I, I like to use that as a um, reference point, but it's like in a contemplative world when we um, say you want to try to increase the space between the stimulus and response. You're going to still think these things, whatever, but you have more agency over what your actions are, you know, after you've done that. And there, there are tons of things we can do, whether it's people who are doing the yoga practices, meditation, or walking, or just noticing, like you're saying, you don't need to be like a, a yoga master guru. <laughs> you're a person that just makes sure that you take time to notice at minimum. And I don't know if that connection is always made. So that's my point. I don't know if it's always made in terms of, okay, what can I do? You can notice more. How do I notice more? Be more. It's like, how do I be more? <laughs> you know, like, so yeah. this, this, this is really rubber hits the road, I think. Um, and in some of those ways of being more, it means that you can more time of loving on yourself. So it just really does all fit for me in my mind. I want to make sure I'm, you know, get, um, picking up what you're putting out correctly. Um, so is that a good summary of what you're, what you're getting at? And, and do you have anything else to, sh to add to it? Yeah, no, I think that's really it. I think that the, the, for me, the thing to underline here is what scares us the most about our own racism and what scares us the most that makes us hate ourselves for that, for holding that racism, that's the thing that we need to voice, hmm. right? That's the thing that we need to figure out uh, how to not bury, you know? And I, 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 think, I think that's how we lighten that. I think that's how we lighten that load and make that hatred for holding that, for holding these deep racist thoughts and feelings and beliefs less big, right? And and the other thing, and this is where I'll point to Brene Brown's work of like shame and empathy, of when we bury it, that builds shame. And that builds the shame that we expect that a lot of white people who do racial equity work feel, right? 
and it only creates greater shame, which is the, as, as Brene Brown puts, the, the antidote to empathy. And if we want to build empathy, we need to, to get rid of that shame. And empathy is not finite, right? As she said, right, not right, finite. Right. So, so, and that, that's also for our, like that's starting with ourselves. And so everybody can benefit from this across exactly. the range but particularly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if I can voice what I'm most scared of, right? If I could say, you know, when I was walking down the street, when I, when I was talking about the other night, whatever, on the street, and I see this black man and I have a, a noticing in my body, holding in my body of my own racism, that fear that shows up. If I could first actually acknowledge and notice it, it, it doesn't have to then bury the shame, which then means I can't have empathy for myself. And I can't have empathy for that person walking down the street, wow. right? That black man, I then can't grow empathy for either. So it's, it's kind of both if I'm gonna, and, and it goes back to our conversation around comfort and discomfort, which I guess might be here or not, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of noticing my own discomfort and then naming it as a way to get, to build empathy as opposed to shame. Oh, <laughs> I, I really, so the first piece running towards discomfort, right? Like actually, at least in my brain, I was like, if you want to do something and I love this type of stuff, cause I'm like, people are like, Oh, what can I do? If you want to do something, okay, what makes you uncomfortable? Or where's this discomfort around? Do that. Right. <laughs> That's what you're saying, which is such a, uh, a gut check. But then the loving, the love piece that you're mentioning is but without shame, right? And right. it's just such a really a holistic, like, it's kind of, it's not, I don't, the word tough love is hard sometimes because it's like, means tough. It's like a full love, right? It's like a full mature way to support growth, right? It's like the challenge and the support. I, I just really like that a lot. Wow. You know, when, with my partner, I think about relationships, right? I can't, I'm always thinking about relationships in terms of, because when we talk about relationships with society, sometimes the convergence of a lot of things is just like when you have like a, whether it's a life partnership or some, any kind of configuration where it's like you and another person, right? Especially like romantic relate, And even running towards the things that scare you in, in that, right? Um, and being able to not have shame in the communication and how the communication of not having that shows the love and, just applying that to that, it helps me. You see, so you just helped me with the, my own personal <laughs> relationship within my household with that as well, as it relates to that. So I do think there's a lot. Um, so we've talked about, um, you know, of course, you, where you've, um, how you've come to be, kind of the work you do, and then your work for, that you do with um, a wide range of folks. You have a particular message for, for white um, individuals who, so what's, what's next um, in terms of the work that you do or what's next for us as my closing comment? Like what is one of those things that you're looking forward to doing more of or you know, something to put out there to the, to the ether as it relates to just being, um, as it relates to just love, you know? Cause a lot of this is just about love. Um, I love, <laughs> I've said love 30 times during this. <laughs> so what, what's next or what, what, what's next or what do we need more? Some people are visionaries and some people are more critiquers. So that's why I ask that question in that way sometimes. And this has to be stuff that you're excited about. Something that I'm excited about? Yeah. I mean, I think it really is this feeling for me that this is white people's work. 
Um, I mean, I think it's also work for um, non-Black and non-Indigenous people of color too, but I think specifically, I feel a call to action for white people. And we say this, you mean the social justice work to like, when, how would you categorize this? Thank you. Not I think I'm thinking about this, this literal moment in time that we're Ooh. in a pandemic that okay. has, before the current uprising has very much highlighted everything we know to be true about the way racism works in our country, meaning who who gets uh, who has gotten sick, who has died the most, right? The fact that we've seen disproportionate numbers of Black people um, getting COVID and dying from COVID for so many um, for for so many reasons that exist in our on our racist institutions. It's and like racism. To systematic racism and how it shows exactly. <laughs> Yep, yep. Um, health, right? The way that, that Black people aren't paid attention to in terms of their complaints about being sick, the, the lack of access, being listened to, being given treatment, getting access, all of that stuff. What about frontline workers, right? All of, all of the reasons um, but that, that are about systemic racism. And then the current uprising that I think because of the moment of the pandemic, I mean, lots of people are talking about this, have really galvanized attention and support in a different way. And, you know, as always, right, like racism is a, a white people's problem. And so I think it just feels like my excitement is, or my, or my wanting to work is white people doing our work to, to feel uh, where racism exists in our bodies, you know, kind of the, I guess it's the somatic work. I mean, I don't do somatic work, but I do stuff that related to how it lives in our bodies, yeah, yeah, how yeah. it comes up in our thoughts, how it comes up in our hearts and how, I mean, I already talked about this, but I, I'm just trying to figure out ways to do that work with white people um, so that we we come to the work that we've been, you know, 400 years needing to do. Huh. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm glad you talked a little bit about your work because I really do, um, as we close here, admire your approach to your work in terms of your ability to, um, when you are facilitating, because, you know, people have heard you speak during this podcast, but, um, but when you're facilitating your ability to like tune in and attend to what's spoken, summarize what's spoken, you're masterful at that, but then also what's being felt and getting at that, right? So that people can be able to, so I really have always admired and appreciate that part about you. Cause I think that that in combination with the stuff that you're saying really becomes in this last piece really becomes a good recipe for helping invite people um, into the, the, to be all they can be or into the growth that's needed, so. Yeah. Well, well, you know, um, Hillary, I really appreciate you joining me today. I know that you don't have like all day to talk to me. So um, I don't, do you have any final words for, for the um, folks who are listening to the, um, the Universal Love Movement podcast? Any final words from you? Jess, thank you for being a model of love as a form of resistance. Um, and that love is a way to heal. Like love is a, a, a way to heal ourselves, all of us, 
Um, and I just appreciate that model that you've given us, Carl, and that you've always given me for the last, how long have I known you now? Close to 10 years or so. So um, you're my citation that I've been doing it for that long. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> A reference point, yeah. Yeah, and, and really, again, I mean, my biggest thing is just about how do we become our whole self so that other people don't have to pick up the scraps? Well, I'm at the change. The universal love movement's like a mantra or whatever <laughs> to what you just said. How do we become our whole selves so that other people don't have to pick up the scraps? I know you yeah. meant that. Yeah, and let's give some credit to Lamarad Owens who- Right, 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 right. When I read that, I was like, I've been, when you read something and you're like, oh my God. I love it. loving ourselves and other people. We don't want to look in the mirror. And then you said this, wow. So yeah. That's cool. Well, thank you. I love you and I love and light. And I really appreciate your time. and um. We'll be, we'll be in communication. You all have um, been tuned into the Universal Love Movement with your host, Dr. Carl S. Moore. I bid you adieu and um, send love and light.